What about our little prayer song? Have you forgotten it? Shall we sing it over together? I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and free. A sunlit heart with not a cloud between. A heart like thine, a heart divine, a heart as white as snow. On me, dear Lord, a heart like this bestow. All together, I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean, a sunlit heart with not a cloud between, a heart like thine, a heart divine, a heart as white as that very first word want I want how much do we want how much do we want a heart like his listen I was reading this this morning it is our privilege to grow more and more like him every day then we shall acquire the power to express our love for him in higher, purer speech. And our ideas will enlarge and deepen and our judgment will become more sound and trustworthy. You want all of that, friends? You want your ideas to enlarge. You want to be able to speak of him in purer, lovelier language. You want your judgment to become more sound and more trustworthy. If so, here's the way. It is our privilege to grow more and more like him every day. That's why we come to early morning meeting and all the meetings of Canton. I want, dear Lord. I was over in Korea holding a week of prayer in our college there. And a little Korean girl wrote a letter to me and I still have it. It's pages and pages of all these Korean characters that I couldn't begin to understand. So I had one of the uh, teachers translate it for me and he said, Brother Minkin, this little girl is an orphan. She's become a Christian and she's writing to you and telling her, telling you that she wants to become a real Christian and she wants to be a Christian nurse. And she has written this word, this word want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I think it was 39 times in that one letter. Oh, she said, I want. And that little girl, I think, will become a Christian nurse, don't you? How much do you want Jesus this morning? How much do you want him? I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true, clean. All right, again, let us sing it with all our hearts. A little brighter. 
I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean, a sunlit heart with not a cloud between, a heart like thine, a heart divine, a heart white as snow. On me, dear Lord, a heart like this bestow. We enjoyed so much the study of one of the beautiful psalms yesterday that I decided that I would study another psalm this morning. All these beautiful, wonderful psalms, especially those psalms of David, those penitential psalms, those psalms that express his great longing for God. I find when I, I need a little comfort or I need to feel a nearness to God, it does so much to me to go to one of these beautiful psalms. I'm going to read to you this morning the great justification by faith psalm. The great justification by faith chapter of the Old Testament. You know that this psalm was St. Augustine's favorite psalm. St. Augustine was a great sinner. He lived a dissolute life as a youth. But Jesus Christ came into his life and saved him from his sins. And he became one of the great theologians and the mighty men of God of the early centuries. But he never, never forgot his past life of sin. He did forget in a sense, but literally he couldn't forget what God had done for him in the life that he once lived and the life that he was now wanted was living by the grace of God. And he had this psalm written on the wall at the foot of his bed while he was dying. It was his comfort to his closing days. It was James Chalmers' great psalm. They say he could very rarely read it without weeping. It was one of Luther's great and favorite psalms. Psalm 32. I often say that Psalm 32 should really have been Psalm 52. For Psalm, it should follow Psalm 51. Because as you know, Psalm 51 is that great psalm of repentance, that song and prayer of repentance that David sang after his sin against Bathsheba. How many sinners have found comfort as they've read Psalm 51? That psalm that revealed the deep, deep sorrow of heart that came to him when after his sin, when he sought God anew, in deep repentance. You see, friends, David was not a libertine at heart. Sin is characteristic of the sinner, but it is not characteristic of the saint. The sinner sins and thinks little of it. 
to continue to indulge and to wallow in it without any pangs of conscience to deaden his conscience. But the saint may sin, he may fall, he may make a mistake, but immediately the voice of God in his soul speaks to him and condemns him. He has an accusing conscience. You know, friends, that that sinning saints suffer. You know that guilt because of sin is one of the great causes of physical, mental, and psychological and nervous illness today. I was reading somewhere this morning concerning this. Guilt because of sin is one of the great causes of mental and physical illness. That great uh, Christian and great psychologist, Cornea of Switzerland, and the great authority in the world of psychology and psychiatry. He has written several books on this subject, and he can give you case after case after case of patients who've come to him, suffering all kinds of physical illnesses, who have found relief and healing as soon as they came into a right relationship with God. When they found peace with God through the forgiveness of sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's am- it was amazing to me to read of even some of the physical ailments. You know, friends, that our hospitals and our mental institutions and our psychiatric wards are filled to overflowing today with men and women. Over 50%, they say, I was reading the other day, 50% of that great London hospital are mental patients, patients suffering from some mental or nervous disorder. And you know, friends, very largely caused by guilt, a guilt complex. Men and women are not right with God. And something happens in their bodies. I think I had a statement to that effect. Listen to this from the Servant of God, Education 208. Nine. The brain nerves that connect with the whole system are the mediums through which heaven communicates with man and affects the inmost life. Whatever, dis- whatever hinders the circulation of the electric currents in the nervous system, see, these are the mediums through which God communicates to us. And when we, by deliberate sin, violate the laws of our being and our mind, it says, the, whatever hinders the circulation of the electric currents in the nervous system, thus weakening the vital powers and lessening the mental susceptibility, makes it more difficult to arouse the moral nature. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and all isn't it wonderful to be right with God. To be walking in harmony with the laws of the one who created us. That's life, that's energy, that's power. I've proved it to you. 
and researchers. And there are many, many people today, many people in our churches, who are suffering from serious personal problems, serious moral problems, serious individual problems. Everyone here that today has some problems. Some problems are very serious. And the trouble is we, we try to cover it up. We try to make out there's nothing wrong. And we'll laugh and talk and try to cover it over so that people won't detect it. But we're suffering, many, many of our own people are suffering serious personal problems. Many are suffering from a guilt complex. And friends, until we know how to bring our guilt because of sin to the cross and find peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we can never find real help. We'll have nervous disorders, all kinds of upsets and worries and anxieties and distresses because we're not right with God. And so David had this experience. But oh, you know that beautiful Psalm 51. We can't take time to read it all, but you know how when Nathan the prophet came to him and God stabbed that man's heart and brought home to his heart a sense of awful guilt and failure and need, and David, was, David went to his knees and he cried to God, and you know how he cried there? Oh, he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Wash me truly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create within me a clean heart, he cried, and renew a right spirit within me. David knew that what he needed more than anything else was a new heart. Not just a modification and an improvement of his old nature. Not just a few resolves to do right. He needed a new nature. He needed a new heart. Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Have you ever felt to cry that prayer thing? Have you ever done it? Purge me with hyssop, he cried, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Cast me not away from thy presence, and withhold not thine Holy Spirit from me. Sin separates us from God. And this is the most awful separation that sin brings. Oh yes, it separates us from all that is beautiful and lovely and good and true. It separates a man from his wife, it will separate a wife from a husband. It will separate a father from his son. It will separate a mother from her daughter. It will separate a man from his best friends on this earth. Sin separates. And the most awful separation of all, my friends, is that it separates us from God. And David feared that more than anything else. Cast me not away from thy presence. He feared that his sin was so awful, so terrible, that he was forever banished from the presence of God. And now he cried in deep repentance. David's sin was great, 
but his repentance was greater still. God couldn't excuse it in him. He cannot excuse it in any one of us, friends. Let's not make excuses for our sins. And with David, this great man, you see, I've always said, friends, that a great man cannot commit a small sin, can he? This is the psalm of David's repentance. And friends, there's no way back to God but by the way of tears and repentance. I tell you, friends, I've never felt nearer to my Lord down all through my years than when I've been shedding tears of repentance at the feet of my Lord. Oh, it's precious, it's beautiful. Fancy being happy when you're shedding tears. <laughs> ah, that's the kind of tears that God wants to see. There are some people, my friends, that, that lift up their hands in awful consternation if they see anybody in a religious meeting shedding tears. They cry emotionalism, emotionalism. And yet those very same individuals can go to a football match or watch on the television screen some great sport and they'll shout and they'll get worked up and even shed tears over it. But let him shed a tear in a religious service when the Holy Spirit is speaking to that person's heart and bringing the tear to the cheek. He cries emotionalism. I said, such people are not worthy of our, of our, uh, our intellectual uh, regard. We've gone overboard on this matter. We don't want sentimentalism. We don't want emotionalism. But godly emotion is a vastly different thing. We can't have too little of the former. We cannot have too much of the latter. God warm our hearts and make them tender toward him. Because the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, we're told, and a contrite heart. Our Lord shed tears for sinners in the days of his flesh. We're told in Hebrews, he offered up his petitions with strong crying and tears. Have you known that experience, friends? What kind of prayers do you offer? Have you known what it means to offer up your petitions with crying and tears? No, we don't have to always be doing that, I know. Prayer can be sweet fellowship, but there are times when a burden comes on our heart. There are times when he's speaking to us in power, maybe for a loved one, maybe because of our own heartache and our own need. I tell you, brother, you're getting very close to God when you enter into an experience like that. And now let's go back to this wonderful chapter. Chapter thir Psalm 32 is David's song of, re of rejoicing after his sins are forgiven. Oh, the rejoicing that came to the knowledge of sins forgiven. And the knowledge of forgiven sins, friends, does bring joy. It does bring peace. It does put a song into your heart. And so he commences. Blessed. That means happy. Rejoicing. In fact, that word, the very first word is in the plural. Did you know that? Blessednesses. <laughs> joy upon joy. Happiness upon happiness is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Happy is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Ah, David entered into this in a great reality, and he sings this to the whole of Israel. Happy is he whose transgression is transgression, sin, iniquity, guile. He doesn't excuse it. He admits it all. He freely has freely confessed. And all how often things where our confessions are very, very shallow. We come to our bedside at night and we say, Lord, uh, bless mother and father and bless our loved ones and forgive me my sins for Jesus' sake, amen. We don't seem to know what deep heartfelt confession. Oh Lord, my sin. In fact, old Brother Spicer used to say, if you sin at 10 o'clock, get forgiveness at 10 o'clock. If you sin at 6 o'clock, get forgiveness at 6 o'clock. Look away to the cross again. As I say, the blessings of justification by faith are ours all along the way, right to the very end, even while we're growing in the, in the walk or the pathway of sanctification. Blessed is he whose transgression... What does transgression mean? It means stepping across the mark. Across, trans, across, I step. Stepping outside of the will of God. That's what it is. The Christian life, my brother and sister, is a narrow pathway that leads clear through to the city of God. And I have thought of it this way many times, that the Christian life is walking within the will of God through the power of the indwelling Christ. What does it say, the scripture say of Jesus? I delight, let's say it together, I delight to do thy will, oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Do you delight to do his will? Oh, the precious, the delicious will of God. Revealed in his word, revealed in those beautiful counsels of his spirit, in the, in the spirit of prophecy. Revealed to us by his will, by his spirit, his Holy Spirit. I delight to do thy will. And so, my friends, David, he stepped outside of the will of God. And he said, happy is he whose transgression is forgiven. You know that happiness, friends. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Don't cover it up, friends. Don't excuse it. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Whose sin is covered. What is sin? It's missing the mark. It's falling short of the glory and the will and the power and the righteousness and the holiness of God. So, my friends, that's something more than an act. It's an attitude. It's a condition of the heart. Some people think if they overcome this act and this act and this wrong thing and this wrong thing, they're okay. Oh, my friends, we don't seem to have any understanding of the, the glory of God and his holy nature and his holy character, how far we daily fall short of his holiness and his will, his perfection. And so there again, the blessings of justification must be mine because there's life in the lips. You know, you all familiar with that very beautiful statement that's been such a comfort to me. When it is in the heart to obey God, 
when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's best service, and he makes up for the deficiency with his own divine merit. Friends, I must confess to you that many, many times as I come to the pulpit to preach, I'm conscious of my own deficiency. And many a time I have to look into his face and say, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting now that you'll make up for my deficiency because I'm trusting your divine merit, my holy, precious, beautiful, wonderful Savior, the Holy One. Lord Jesus, make up for my deficiency. And when I know that I'm made perfect in him, then I can go and stand before 10,000. Wonderful. Yes, all right. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Over in Romans 4, verse 4, I think it is, Paul is speaking of this very scripture and says that David wrote it and he puts it in the positive. He says, Under whom the Lord imputeth righteousness. Not, as it says here, imputeth not iniquity. You see, it's just as though the law stood before David and said, Debit David, Debit David, with adultery, with betraying Bathsheba, and with murdering Uriah the Hittite. The, the Hittite. But Jesus says, No, no, don't Debit David. Debit, De Debit, he's trusting in me. He's trusting in my merit. I have died. I became sin for him. All his sins. Sin. All my grace is far greater than his sin. Don't debit it now to David. Debit it to my account. And the Father will then look upon David through me. He imputed his righteousness. What can we say to that, friends? Just say once more, I feel hallelujah. What a Savior. Imputeth not iniquity, and iniquity is something deep, friends. It's a, it's something more than an act. It's a condition of the heart. It's a condition of our evil natures. We need new nature. That's our trouble, our need. And so, my friends, through the merits of this Saviour, He imputeth not iniquity. He imputes His own righteousness. Isn't this a beautiful chapter? Can't you understand why? Of course, St. Augustine didn't have the New Testament, in a sense. I suppose he did, but he did. But he, the Old Testament scriptures were the great scriptures to them. And he loved this psalm to his dying moment. And so do we. But you notice, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old from my roaring all the day long. Did David keep silent after his sin? Did he try to cover his sin up? For a whole 12 months, David hoped that his sin wouldn't be found out. He tried to cover it up. You see, he said before that that he discovered there was a lot of guile in his nature. In his spirit, there's no guile. David had discovered after all this profession of godliness, a great deal of guile. That's an ugly word, isn't it? Guile. 
is cheap, dishonest with God, trying to cover up your sin. Say, is anybody here who found guile in his heart and you've tried to cover up your sin? You've, you've just hoped nobody would find out. You've tried to put a, a screen over, you, over yourself. Nobody will find out. David, you read those chapters around in Chronicles there about David's sin. You remember how he tried to put Uriah at the head of the battle so that Uriah would be killed and then he could take Bathsheba to wife and nobody would know the difference. The, the son that would be born or the child that would be born would still uh, would be regarded as his. And you read those chapters, what he did with Uriah and the skin when he brought Uriah home from the battle and, and uh, sent Uriah to his own home and expected, he did a lot of planning and scheming so that nobody would know that this child was his. I tell you friends, there's a lot of, lot of guile today God wants his children, expects his children to be open and clear before him. You know, one of our dear men at the General Conference some years ago, when I first went there, you know, some years, about five or six, eight years ago, passed away. We went to his funeral in the church opposite the General Conference office, and a group of us were standing around afterwards talking. And you know, one of the brethren said, you know, Joe, was a man without God. He was always the same. And all the other men said, yes, amen. We knew Joe to be a man without guile. There was no pretense in his life. He wasn't one thing to your face and somebody else, something else behind your back. You know, there are some people that are very pleasant to your face that you, you don't feel secure with them. There's a lot of pretense and guile. Oh, my friends, I want to be sincere. I do want to be sincere before God and before my fellow men. I've discovered a lot of these things in my own heart to some extent, friends. Our need is a clean new heart to grow in likeness to Jesus Christ every day. And you know, David came to that place where the finger of God said to him, Thou art the man. And his conscience smote him. And then he says, when he's recording this, he says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old from my roaring all the day long. What did he mean by that? He had a roaring, a guilty conscience, didn't he? His conscience was troubling him. David, what a sin you are, and you're the king. Look what you've done. The Holy Spirit was working on that man's heart because there was, there was sincerity deep there down underneath. Some things that in those days, my friends, were not regarded so much as so terribly wrong, especially in a king, but not with God. We cannot compare our standards with the world's standards, friends. There are things that are moral standards today that have been swept away, and people are saying, what's the harm in this, and what's the harm in that? You know, friends, I have a feeling that on Wednesday morning I want to speak to you about the home. Some of the revelations that have come to my heart in recent camp meetings at what's going on in some homes and families. 
in regard to moral standards and many other things. It's amazing what we can try to cover up and still make a profession. David tried this, but it didn't work, and it never will work in the sight of God. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. All God's hand was upon that man. He said the drought of summer. His, his spiritual life became dry and barren. Why? Because he was tucking sin into, under his bosom, hoping it would never be found out. Don't do it, son. Don't do it. Is there a husband tucking sin into his wife? into his heart and hoping his wife will not know. Is there a wife tucking sin into her bosom and not and hoping that he won't find out? Is there anybody here carrying on secretly hoping it will never be found out? Oh my friends, this was David's experience. You'll have a dry, dead religious experience. You'll be barren. For sin does that to us, friends. He did it for David. But you notice verse 5. This is a marvelous part of that. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I will confess my transgression, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Oh, how deep and thorough was his repentance and his confession. My sin, my iniquity, my transgression. He didn't blame it on the circumstances. Well, I couldn't help it. Or excuse himself in some way. It may not be this sin with us, friends. It might be any other sin. I had a sister tell me she had, a, she had an awful temper, a very quick temper. She said, I can't help it, Brother Minton. I was born with it. My dad had a bad temper. But she said, it's all over in a minute. I never hold anything. I said, my dear sister, and so is the shot out of a gun. But it does a lot of damage in less than a minute. We excuse our sins so much. But David finished with that business. He gave it up. My transgression, my sin, my iniquity. Oh, and God can find a man or a woman who will come with him to him with such open-hearted sincerity and confess, first of all, to his God. All his sin is going to find a way of peace and blessing. But friends, it's not confession that saves him. It's Jesus Christ who saves you. And for one look that you give to your sin, give a hundred looks to him, friends. Don't keep your eyes on your sin. Turn your back upon it. For God says, I will forgive. I will forget. I will cleanse. I will wash you. I will purge you. I will make you whiter than snow. Isn't it all glorious, friends? Yes, for this shall everyone... I just want to mention, friends, there are some people who cannot acknowledge a mistake. I want to dwell on this and touch more on Wednesday morning. There are some husbands who have never been known to admit a wrong, either to God or to, them, to their wives or to their family. There are some people that cannot say, I am sorry, or I did wrong. Forgive me. I've often said, friends, that plain, stubborn pride is going to keep more of us out of the kingdom than perhaps any other sin. Our inability to be wholehearted and sincere in our confession to our God and to our fellow men when we've wronged them. Any man can argue and contend that he's right. 
It would take a man with the grace of God in his heart to humbly and sincerely acknowledge a fault. All right. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Oh, yes, sir. There's coming a time when men will seek him and they'll not find him. Even professing Christians who've had all the opportunities for going this way that we're talking about this morning, that have chosen to carry on and to retain their defects, there'll come a moment when God will spirit will no longer strive. Probation, my friends, will not call, will not change my disposition or my character. It will only fix it. Now's the time for getting ready for it. And by then, that time will be ready. And David said, For this shall every man that is godly, who is longing for God, whose spirit of God is in him, will pray in a time when thou mayest be found. So, friends, aren't you so glad that we can find him this morning? Aren't you so glad that his spirit is still, still speaking to us, calling us, come up higher, come closer? My heart responds to this thought this morning. I can still find him. He's still there. But don't play with this thought, friends. Sin can deaden us and harden our hearts to the place where we lose a desire to find him. All right. And you notice in verse 7, I'm just hurry through, Thou art my hiding place. Thou art my hiding place. Isn't it wonderful to have a hiding place? Yes. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Oh, a hiding place. You know, folks, a farmer down in the south was walking through the forest with his collie dog one day. And the jackrabbit ran across the path. And the dog chased him, ran into the forest there. And in a few moments, the farmer could hear the dog barking, yelping, yelp, 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 yelp. And the farmer said to himself, well, now, I wonder why that dog is yelping. He evidently hasn't caught the, the, the rabbit. I must go in and see. And he walked into the forest, and there he found the dog pawing at a great big rock. And there was a ledge of a bit of overhanging rock about this high, and that little rabbit had run under that ledge. He'd found a hiding place. And he was perfectly secure under that ledge. And the dog couldn't get in. He was too deep. And there he was, pawing the ground and throwing it behind him and yelping as, as loud as he could, just as though he was saying to that little timid rabbit, the little rabbit was trembling all over. His little eyes were standing out like beads. But he wouldn't move. He wouldn't budge. He was perfectly secure. He found a hiding place. And you know, 
That dog was yelping at him as though he was saying to him, Come on out here, you little coward. Come on out here and put up a fight. But the little rabbit stayed perfectly secure. He found the hiding place. Rock of Ages, left for me. Let me have the wonderful hiding place, isn't it? Have you found it? The hounds of sin are out there. Now let us play. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. How true that is. David knew it. But he that trusteth in the Lord, oh yes, trust, perfect trust, complete surrender. Mercy shall encompass him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. He commenced with rejoicing, he ends with rejoicing, like the prodigal coming home. Let us kill the fatted calf. Rejoice, my son was lost and is found. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? The great justification by faith psalm of the Old Testament. Say, friends, I think we ought to close. We're even without singing, but I think we ought to get on our knees and just have a little prayer to, with your friend there. Or if they happen to be free, just a little prayer, thanking God for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thanking God for the hiding place. Thanking God for forgiveness of sin. And if there's a, an ache or a pain or a problem that you've been wrestling with in your own heart, in your own life, and you know it, it's affecting your very life, it's affecting your relationships and your disposition and everything, get on your knees and just look into the face of this Savior that so many millions down through the years have trusted and the one who has delivered so many and claimed deliverance in him. Just a, a short prayer, even two or three sentences, cry to the Lord. It's not your long prayers, my friends. It's the cry of the heart that reaches his divine heart immediately. Just say, Lord, save me. Just a few sentences, and then I'll close this evening, if that's all right with you, and we'll go our way. Shall we kneel together? Just short prayer.
just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Through God, Jesus, how I trust him, how I serve him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Shall we rise? Thank you, friends. God bless you.